Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. When did I first feel insecure about aging? Um, It was the age of 24. And it's because I started an entry-level job after living abroad for a couple years. So I was two years older than my coworkers in an entry-level position. I was 24, they were 22, and this upset me to no end. I felt so behind. And right now, at the age of 33, um, it's not much different. I meet 25-year-olds who often have far surpassed me in career, productivity, and I don't think the feeling's going to go away anytime soon. I think a lot of you probably feel the same way. And that's why today on The Bustle Huddle, we are talking about ageism. Welcome to the Bustle Huddle. I am Anna Parsons, and today you'll notice that Jada is not on the mic. That is because she is away in Europe looking for Meghan Markle, probably. But despite her European vacation, I'm sure she's going to be sad that she missed this episode because we have a great conversation coming up with Ashton Applewhite, author of This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. Really looking forward to you guys hearing that. Before I go any further, Um, I don't want to leave you guys alone here with just me and my repressed Southern accent this entire time. So I want to introduce our very own Bustle's Beauty and Fashion Features Editor, Kayla Greaves. Hi. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. For those out there who are not familiar with Kayla yet, but they will be and they should be, tell us about what you do. So I work on features for the fashion and beauty section. So anything that's kind of like long form pieces, profiles, interviews, all that good, fun, long form stuff. And since I know you've been working hard lately, what's something you're really proud of? The good hair package I just put out. So Uh it's a package of um, eight stories, and it's all about 4C hair, which is the type of natural hair that's long been left out of the conversation. It's the kinkiest texture of all. And, you know, we've long talked about it as bad hair in the black community, and it's time to call it good hair. And it's also a really beautiful package. Thank you. It's gorgeous. Thank you so much. Everybody go look at it. We'll put a link in the description, like always. Thank you. And also... (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I have to harass you and be like, and you're Canadian. I am Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your fun fact around here. (laughs) It's my fun fact around here. I'm Canadian. I have met Trudeau one time. I've never met Drake. I didn't know that. Yeah, I met Trudeau. Yeah. How? He was actually at my old office. He came for a town hall. He did like a live town hall for us. And he's like cool. Like he just looks like a regular schmegular guy. But like really hot. No? Uh. He's not my type personally, but I can see why people would say he's dreamy. I mean, we're just like really lacking down here in the South, as you see. No comment (laughs) on that one. We just need heroes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, on to the topic of today, which is ageism. I imagine as a fashion and beauty editor, this is constantly on your mind. Yeah. Um, Is there still the same sort of youth worship that we traditionally associate with fashion? Of course. Like, I think, I don't know if that's going to go away anytime soon. Like, we do see, I, I think, like speckles of it. Like, we'll see older women on runways or sometimes we'll see older women in campaigns. Is that just like... I think it's a little tokenism. Yeah. Tokenizing. Um, I think 
you know, we're seeing it in like speckles. I don't think we're really seeing it just be embraced fully the same way we're kind of seeing like racial diversity, which is not even anywhere close to being on par yet. Um, but I think that's the one that's kind of gone the furthest so far. But in terms of age, you don't really see it. And of course, when it comes to beauty products, the idea is to have youthful, young, glowing, and there's a, a million and one anti-wrinkle thing, you know, firming, which is just another word for anti-wrinkle. I mean, I don't I don't see it going away anytime soon. We're obsessed with youthfulness. We're obsessed with looking young. Plus, I think with seeing availability of injectables and, you know, they're cheaper now. On one hand, it's like you can inject anything in your face to look younger, per se. But at the same time, we've got Instagram showing us 16-year-olds that we're idolizing. So... Right. And, When's it and end? for me, it's scary because I didn't grow up with social media. Like we are the right. lucky last generation who actually grew up like playing outside and not, you know, having these things brainwash us. But, you know, um, on top of, you know, just products, there's actual technology now like Facetune. Um, filters, you know, you can Photoshop your face, you can get rid of every blemish, you can get rid of every wrinkle, you don't really know what these people look like. So it's kind of, it's gotten a little bit out of control. So while you know, you'll see some campaigns, and they won't Photoshop their models, they're still this is still happening online on Instagram. Going back to our generation, when was the first time that you felt insecurity about getting older? Probably this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, when I turned 26? 26. Because it was like, oh, no, I'm closer to 30 than I am to 20. And that's when I was like, oh, God, I'm an old bag. And, like, oh, yeah. I photoshopped my face onto, like, a used, uh, like, grocery bag. And I sent it to my family. <laughs> and I was like, I'm an old bag now. Like, I'm almost 30. And they're like, no, you're young. And I'm like, no, I'm old. My life is over. And I don't know why, like, I put this pressure on myself. Like, 30 is young you put more pressure on yourself mid-20s in my experience I was so anxious when I turned 26 I was even more anxious as I like approached 30 I was the kind of person who always had a checklist of like what I had to accomplish by a certain age and I mean I hate to admit this but being from western North Carolina and growing up under a certain sort of um ideology I'll say I wanted to get married by 30 like yeah. it had to happen. That's what I thought too. I thought I was gonna have children before thirty, and now oh, I'm like, yeah. oh hell no! Right? Yeah. There's no way Absolutely it's gonna not. happen. It's because not gonna just happen. For my own goals, I want for my career. I just I don't see myself having children. Maybe I will, and maybe I'll be fine. But like, mm-hmm. it's not a plan of mine to do it. And or it's not a necessity. No, it's not a necessity. It's not even a prior. It's not even a thought for me right now. Like right. I can't imagine my life with a child in it yeah no I um I remember (laughs) thinking like okay time's up if you don't do it then and something we also bring up with Ashton is that I think the media still supports this narrative of x things to do by age 30 absolutely and the thing is is you you turn 30 if you're like me you don't accomplish any of the things that you set out to accomplish and you feel fine um and you you realize realize life's not over it's not over at all 38 you know if you're lucky enough to have good health, you will live a very long life. And and one thing I actually saw somebody uh, post that actually changed my views of this was they said something to the effect of you only live long if you're lucky. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. Right. Like going back when I didn't end up married with all my like student loans paid off and everything by the age of 30, I started having these fantasies of like, what is going to happen to me as an old lady? Am I going to, like, what happens to unmarried, poor old ladies? I would ruminate over that. But, like, that is so presumptuous to even assume, A, that I'm going to become an old lady. Like, I would be so lucky to do so. And also, life's full of surprises. There's a lot of things that are going to happen along the way that I will never be able to foresee. Exactly. And And I think 
Exactly. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of the women I know who are at that stage of their life, they are loving life. Yeah. They are living their life. They are traveling. They're retired. Their kids are grown up. They're enjoying their life and they're having a hell of a time and age is not a factor for them. They're just enjoying being here. So this is probably a good point to segue into our interview with one such woman who makes aging look incredible. Ashton Applewhite, who is the author of This Chair Rocks, a Manifesto Against Ageism. It was just released last week on March 5th. I really recommend that you read it because it's a very fun read despite the word manifesto it's the funnest manifesto that i've read in a while and also as ashton always says you're either old or future old so <laughs> exactly i so, love that she said that <laughs> I know, it's so she's so right <laughs> like we all need to get over ourselves so with that in mind let's listen to our interview one of the earliest insults i remember from one of my friends. This is maybe like second grade. So I'm a redhead. I've always been a redhead. I had a friend of mine appear in my classroom tell me that her mom told her that I was going to look old and ugly before everybody else because redheads age faster. This stuff starts young. A second grader told me that. That's oh my crazy. God. Isn't that absurd? It is crazy. I was like, the fact that like a second grader is already thinking about the age, the rate that we're going to age. Right. Attitudes towards aging start to form in early childhood. And that her mom told her that. Yeah. Right. It, that's what I was going to say. It comes from parents. Yeah, that's all And the culture. And the parents. Yeah. I mean, it comes from children's books where you have the passive granny rocking in a chair. It comes from Disney cartoons. Think oh, about the true. way older people are depicted in, in cartoons. Snow White. Old yeah. and struggling. Yeah. And, yeah. Or, just, or these passive sort of ciphers, which is really a benevolent stereotype is still a stereotype. And we don't teach kids about ageism the way we teach them about racism and gender yet. I mean, look at advertising. Most of the time, older people aren't. Uh, you know, buying anything except cruises at one end and medicine on the other. And guess what? Older people like to do the same things that everyone else does and right. buy the same things. I mean, people over 50 in the U.S. control 70% of the disposable income, and no one even tries to sell us stuff. Is that because we're abiding by old-fashioned rules in the advertising industry? Very much so. That are both ageist and sexist. And it is also a function of internalized ageism, which is we are bombarded with these negative messages that old is bad, aging is failure, good is young and sexy, and insert good thing. And that, unless you stop to question those messages, they become part of your identity. One reason older people don't shop for things that are marketed to older people is because we don't want to identify as old and we don't mm -hmm. want to see ourselves as older. But the bigger problem is sort of the invisibility as the incredibly large and unbelievably diverse demographic we are. I mean, all prejudice is based on stereotypes, which are, of course, always dumb and wrong. But they are particularly absurd when it comes to aging because the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. I had actually written down that quote. I love that quote. Yeah. Can I mean, you go into that a little bit more? Sure. I mean, every, you know, every newborn, every seven-year-old, every 17-year-old is unique, of course, but they are pretty similar from a developmental point of view and in terms of life experience. Obviously, as we move out into the world and are shaped by unique experiences, that makes us different from one another. And also, we age at different rates cognitively and physically and socially. So the older a person is, 
the less their age tells you about anything about them, how well their brain works, how well their body works, where they live, what they're interested in, what they're listening to, what they're reading, which is why it's nutty to think of age as this divider, like what could I have in common with that person who is 20, 30, 40 years older than I am? You could have a lot in common. That has so much more to do with you know, what you do and where you live. Social class is a big determinant, of course, possibly gender, than age. Age is such a small divide. Yeah, it's weird. Even in, um, so obviously we work at a women's publication, and I think that we do a fair job of trying to avoid ageist terms, or we're attempting to. However, I still see these goalposts everywhere, mm-hmm. like um, 20, 30, 40. I see this article in almost every publisher, TK things to do by 30. And that always filled me with so much anxiety. As it you should. Like you're missing out on something if you don't get to this certain point in your life by x age right yeah i mean when i say that we think of ageism as something that just affects older people and it is true that we live in such a youth obsessed society that older people bear the brunt of it but it's any judgment about a person on the basis of age so if anyone ever looked at you and said what could you possibly know about doing a podcast or taking a job (laughs) that is ageism too And it casts a shadow across our whole life. That message that if you are not having peak sex and don't have a perfect body and aren't on your way to the career that's right for you in your 20s is amplified by those messages that say if you don't have shit together by 20, it's all going to be downhill. And in fact, ask any older person, no one wants to be 20 again. I don't want to be Your 20s again. are hard, and no one actually. I wrote a really cranky blog post last year that said, if aging is so awful, how come no one actually wants to be any younger? And I <laughs> yeah. put that question to people, and their face lights up for a second, and then they go, oh, wait, I have to erase the whole whiteboard, right? And we know that our years make us us. I, um, so in my 20s, I was always really preoccupied with the fe- like that I was running out of time, that if I didn't have my career figured out by a certain time, that everything was going to be screwed up. Um, I'm 33 now. To a certain degree, I still have the same problem and the same mindset, which I'm trying to get rid of. But Good for you. It, it's difficult. <laughs> I had to, it was around the time that Tina Fey's biography came out. And I had the age that Tina Fey did everything written down. I had the age that she got into Second City. So it was like, if I don't get a job doing this in comedy or in writing, it's too late, et cetera. And of course, I like lived and I did not become Tina Fey by 29. <laughs> it didn't happen. I didn't get a job at SNL. You loser. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? But I, I thought at the time, if I don't do these things, if I don't finally lose the weight, if I don't finally make it by 29, it's over. Mm-hmm. Those mileposts are never, never, never our friend. I don't like anything that divides people up into age groups. I mean, one thing you realize as you get older is how much of your youth you squandered on worrying about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I see people around here doing it all the time. I mean, I'm still doing it as well. I I, do it too. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm 26. So did you ever feel insecure in your early 20s about like how you were doing in your career? I, I always have. Always. I would love to say that we outgrow it because, you know, those doubts do, you know, of course, crop up all the time. You never think, oh, I've got it nailed and I'm going to, you know, just ace everything from now on out. Yeah. But you do get more perspective. Like I faced this challenge before and I survived and maybe I even did okay, And that does help. And the other thing is that life 
is long. You know, we, we, the American lifespan has increased by 30 years in one century. Most of that is more people surviving to adulthood, mm-hmm. but we've gained an average of 10 to 15 healthy years in the stage of life I'm at. I'm 66. And for many older women in particular, older age is the best time of all. You're more powerful. You feel more confident. You, you care less about what will people think of you, right? And you are more in possession of yourself. And it is a time really where you have fewer obligations to perhaps your parents, perhaps your children, where you can really come into your own. Don't take my word for it. Ask the older women around you. I actually hear that a lot from a lot of older women. They always tell me, especially like a lot of my friends now, they've like hit 30 and they're like, 30 is when you start living. And you forget about all the BS that happened in your 20s and 30 is when you really start to enjoy life. And I have friends or people that I know they're in their 40s and they're like, I just the older I get, the less I care about what people have to say. But I actually did, I thought what you said about you know, determining someone's maturity level based on their age, that type of thing. I thought that was really interesting because when we see couples that have a huge age gap between them, we're always so quick to judge. And the first thing people say is, what could they possibly have in common? What could they possibly talk about if you're 20 and your boyfriend is 50? <laughs> I was only with him for the money. You guys are two different generations, you know? I have a friend who's in her 50s. She's gorgeous. And of course, she is looking for a monogamous relationship with a guy who's established who doesn't have 17 children or a crazy ex-wife in the attic and can drive at night and all this rest. And I said, why don't you try someone younger? And she said, more than 10 years younger? And I said, why not? And she said, he won't know who Eisenhower is. And I said, how much time do you spend talking about Eisenhower? (laughs) You you know, she cracked up and she said, point taken. I mean, she doesn't spend much time talking about Eisenhower. Try it. Go on (laughs) one date. You know, what do you have to lose? It's funny because I, so my boyfriend's, he's like eight, nine years older than me, which is nothing. But um, sometimes I'll catch him trying to make cultural references like a decade plus, which is really sweet. But he was like, yeah, like when girls used to have a crush on Axl Rose. And it's like, oh, you know, a little bit of a generation gap right there. Yeah, but that doesn't make you feel sorry you're with him. Then you learn about Axl Rose. It's been really interesting. It's It's more, not less. Yeah, exactly. It's been expanding. It's like, I feel like I'm experiencing more of the world. Right. If, If you can, the two of you can get over the trap that, oh, that makes him look dated or that makes you look ignorant. If you're both just curious to learn about each other's experience, it's not a divide. Um, I wanted to take things back to how you started this journey towards writing your book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. When did you kind of awaken to this fight against ageism? I was 55. I was looking around for a project to get into, and I was scared of getting old. And I really started as a project about older people who work because inspired by my in-laws who were in their 80s at the time. And I thought, well, that's a nice sort of safe way to sort of dip my toe in the water because it's like old people who continue to do the thing that they always did so I didn't have to go anywhere scary. And what happened was that in five minutes of researching, I realized that almost everything I thought I knew about what it would be like to be that old was wrong. Not just that these older people were in the world in all kinds of interesting ways. That didn't surprise me. But just fact after fact after fact whacked me in the face. I thought the odds of ending up in a nursing home were pretty good. Percentage of Americans over 65 in a nursing home? Want to take a guess? Like uh, 3%? It's 2.5% down from 4. Wow. I mean, I would have said 20 or 30. 
yeah. right? I would have said, well, another thing that must suck about getting old, because obviously everything about being old sucks, is the fear that, that death, you know, is right around the corner. And the older people are, the longer they live, the less we fear dying. It, the knowledge that time is short does not fill people with dread, which I was astonished to learn. It makes us use the time more wisely. And that, that is not an age effect. Again, speaking of things that have n not inherently to do with how old you are, if you are a young person with a mortal illness, the same effect. You will choose your time more wisely, spend it more wisely, be more careful with who you spend it with. And that is the psychological underpinning of another thing that you could have knocked me over with a feather. Obviously, old people are depressed because they're old and they're going to die soon. Google U-shaped happiness curve. People are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives in every culture, independent of income, independent of health, marital status. It is a function of the way aging affects the healthy brain. So I just kept getting walloped with these facts, and these are not hard to find. And I thought, why? Why doesn't everyone know these things? And the very short answer to that is that if age is presented as a problem, we can be persuaded to buy stuff to fix it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you might, you might get, I hope you're not smiling right now because that's gonna give you face wrinkles, right? <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And if age is presented as a disease, then we can be persuaded to buy things or, you know, natural changes are pathologized. And then we can be persuaded to spend money on that. I think the health conversation is interesting, too, because I think especially now we're seeing a lot of young people being extremely health conscious, um, which is always a good thing. But I think people take it to the extreme because they're like, I don't want xyz to happen to me when i get older and sometimes you just can't prevent those things from happening like no matter you can eat every blueberry every piece of kale in the world every carrot every whatever and sometimes you will still gonna die. get a disease yeah you're gonna die somewhere or the other but sometimes you will still get a disease like i know people that were vegan did everything right exercise and they got breast cancer yeah and you, it just you happened. are you are so right i mean another really damaging sort of and very American idea is this idea of independence and that we can control our aging and that we can control our lives. And so much is, you know, if you have money, it helps. If you have good genes, it helps, although not that much. Genes are only responsible for about a third of your health outcome. But this puts the whole burden on the individual and reduces the role that, you know, social services and social supports play and that luck plays and that money plays and puts the burden on you to control things that are not all that much in your control. But attitudes towards aging do matter a lot. There is this all this wonderful research coming up that shows that people with a more positive attitude towards aging, which I say is a more realistic attitude towards aging because we're so damn brainwashed, <laughs> uh, walk faster, live longer, seven and a half years longer, heal quicker, and suffer less from dementia. If you have a good attitude about getting older, you are less likely to develop dementia even if you have the gene that predisposes you to the disease. Wow. So this has made me think about um, like Silicon Valley guys because <laughs> <laughs> there is such a trend of like Peter Thiel with his blood transfusions or... Uh, extreme fasting. I know Jack They're Dorsey always of Twitter rich is white doing guys. That. Have you noticed that? Always rich white yeah. guys. But yeah, but the way you're talking, their stress over getting older is probably 
you know, taking much more toll on them than any other. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. The, the theory is that the stress of, yeah. of dealing, which is the effects of ageism, again, you know, are what are bad for us. I mean, I am all for research, more research into the biology of aging. You know, if we can learn how to slow the aging process and things we can do to stay healthier, longer, fantastic. But this idea is not really longevity science. It's immortality science. It's about not dying. And we know from philosophers, from literature, from Greek myths, that what gives life meaning is the fact that it is finite. And if you are busy eating, you know, 5,000 potions and having blood transfusions so that you don't get any older, you are stuck in this hamster wheel of age denial. You're never in the present, which is what makes people happy. That's We're back to the U-curve of happiness. And you need to be rich. What about the rest of us? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll all meet them after we die. Uh, well, uh, I don't think I'm going to be hanging out with Peter Thiel in the afterlife. But you, you never know. In different places. <laughs> so why do you think the beauty industry in particular is like so obsessed with youth, even though you can't prevent these things from happening? Like there's no cream that's going to absolutely positively stop wrinkles from coming up on your face. Because fear and anxiety sell. True. You know, and the only really anti-aging thing that works is sunscreen. Mm-hmm. I mean, a curious thing about about the fashion industry is that it is deeply, deeply ageist, except when you get you know pretty far to the other end of the age spectrum. And then there's this fetishization mm. of older women. So I hope someone can explain that to me. I'm <laughs> I'm all for Let's it. Get Elon Musk mom <laughs> on the podcast. Right? Um, you know, I'm for it, but I also think it's important to point out that those older people are outliers, just like the famous, you know, octogenarians jumping out of airplanes. You know, lots of people find them inspiring, more power to them, but please don't send me any videos of 90-year-olds doing the limbo because they because they set up an unrealistic image of aging and they reinforce the dominant narrative, which is somehow that the idea is to, you know, change and adapt and grow as we move through life until you hit somewhere north of middle age and then screech, everything's supposed to stay the same, mm-hmm. right? Put on the brakes. And again, oh, no, one, no one can succeed at that. It sets us up to fail and it sets us up to compete. And we women reinforce this really strongly when we compete to stay young. Air quotes around stay young. We all walk in the room and guess who's older and rank each other by age. But when we do that, we reinforce ageism Mm. and sexism and the idea that the most important thing about us is how we look. And we really need to come together and break that habit. Yeah. I I even have women around here that I work with often tell me, oh, I didn't know you were in your 30s. That's supposed to be such a big compliment. And I never really know how to react to that. I remember actually being very proud when I was the youngest. And now that I'm older, I'm just like feeling very conflicted about all of this. It is really confusing, you know, and you are already embarked really bravely and candidly on the first and hardest and most essential task, which is to look at your own attitudes towards your own age and aging. Because, you know, we're just starting to think about this. Most bias is unconscious, and we can't challenge bias unless you're aware of it. So perhaps when a colleague says that, you know, you can think of a very neutral question, you know, like, what difference do you think it makes? You know, you don't want to put someone on the defensive, but really, why are we so fixated on age. And think also about the way you use the words old and young. You know, we tend to use young 
as a substitute for insert good thing, visible, sexy, you know, with it, technically adept. And I hear people, older people saying, I, I don't feel old. What they mean is they don't feel invisible or ugly. And I felt more invisible and ugly at 13 than I ever did since, believe me. So try to use the word that describes how you actually feel instead of old and young as sort of placeholders that reinforce the ageist idea that old is bad, young is good, all of which really reinforce the really ugly notion at the heart of ageism, which is that to grow old is to lose value as a human being. Is that a world we want to live in? Y'all are going to live to be 100. Your children, too. Why are we so afraid of the one thing we all aspire to? You know, if you can get off this hamster wheel of denial, you're freed of this inner torment and conflict about wanting, not wanting to get old, but not wanting to die young. How do we move forward? How do women of all ages come together and forget about our differences of age and just come together with one collective idea of let's push this forward? Let's stop judging each other based on the wrinkles that we have or the gray hairs that we have in our head. How do we just work together as women? Well, I think the most important thing to do is to come together in groups of all ages to talk about this stuff in consciousness raising sessions or, you know, I'm working on a guide and I, I kind of want to call it, you will look like us um, be, because it's a play on the idea that, you know, what's most important is how you look. I don't like that idea because it implies that the knowledge comes top down from olders to youngers and it's always a two-way street. I never like to say that older people have more wisdom or more value than younger people, but come together and talk about this stuff. I have a free guide to starting a consciousness raising group on my website called Who Me Ageist. You can use that as a starting point. It's also important Every time you're in a group and everyone is the same age, unless there's a really good reason for it, speak out about it. And the same goes, of course, for, for race and for gender. You know, one reason I'm optimistic about what's happening is that your generation, which is also my kids' generation, understands intersectionality, understands that a more diverse world is a good thing and it's here to stay. I think 60 years ago to say, you know, a woman could do pretty much anything a man can do just as competently was a really big ask of women as well, right? Now to say age is a criterion for diversity, just like everything else, and to, to hitch age to the intersectionality sled, if you will, is a much smaller ask. And I'm excited about that. For people who would say, oh, well, all of this is natural, like anthropologically speaking, that, you know, as people lose their reproductive value, that these, this is just natural human animal behavior. What would you say to them? I do not think that discrimination is natural. Uh, one, one point you often hear is like, oh, aversion to older people is natural because older people are closer to death and we're afraid of dying. I think that is a function of an ageist, a conflation in an ageist society of aging and dying. It's true that I am closer to death than you, I hope. But I also think it's true that when you look at me, you don't think, oh, she's dying. You may think, oh, she's really, really old. But dying is just what happens at the end of all that living. So, you know, there is nothing natural about any of this. 
and there's nothing inevitable about any of it. I mean, every oppressed group has been told that it is natural for people to be repelled by their physical body, right? That's why, that's why black is beautiful evolved as a slogan, to reject the idea that you had to look like a white European to be attractive, right? And the drawing away of people from older bodies, older women's bodies in particular, is just flat-out misogyny. There's nothing natural about it, and there's nothing inevitable about it. I just wanted to go back to the career question because I think that I am not alone in feeling insecure about where they are in their career at their age. Um, what would you say to that woman in her 20s or 30s who is afraid that she's behind her peers and she may never be able to catch up? Don't have children. <laughs> sort of kidding. Um, I would say join the movement to, for, to close the gender wage gap. Um, I would say do not fall into these traps that pit old versus young or moms who work uh, outside the home, you know, against stay-at-home moms about who's a better mom because all those things just, is a, you know, it's a time-honored tactic to keep people from joining forces who would otherwise work together towards a more equitable world. We need, you know, ageism and sexism intersect in a thousand pernicious ways, especially in the workforce for women. Women stop getting promoted at age 34 because you might have a baby someday, and we all know your uterus can't work at the same time that your brain works. We need to attack these issues at the broadest, most cultural you know, level, which is why we need a grassroots movement against ageism, like the women's movement, to challenge those underlying attitudes, because unless we change this stuff at a fundamental level, starting between our ears, right? Do you really believe that, that you are less competent, less important, less fun in bed because you are not no longer 30 or 20, you know? And if you do, think about where those messages come from and what purpose they serve. So speaking of in bed, um, that leads me to my second question, which was about sex. I think that most of my friends in their 30s who are single are incredibly fearful that they may never be able to get into a relationship and that needs to be addressed. One thing that the one thing that does unfairly time out is reproductive capacity. And one of the many facts that enrage me is that uh, data on health data on women around the world stops being collected at around age 55 when we cease to be reproductively useful. I think a lot of these messages come up in our own minds as women. We are harsher critics of how we look by far than men are, if you happen to be straight. I mean, they're, they're also, you know, they're not unique to the heterosexual world, but certainly, hello, patriarchy. I can't believe that word hasn't come up so far. You know, when we are competing to reinforce this idea, this scarcity model, um, you know, we reinforce all those negative messages. If you look around at your friends who are sexually active, they are not the thinnest. They are not the youngest. They are not the prettiest. They are the ones who believe that their lovers are lucky. So the best thing you can do is to look at where these messages that say you are ugly, you are useless, you are undesirable come from, learn about them, and you will be liberated and you will be confident. And that is the best aphrodisiac of all. Thank you so much, Ashton. Um, where can we find you? You can find me at thischairrocks.com. And uh, my book comes out uh, in March from Celadon Books, so take a look at that. It's available in all electronic formats, and um, it will fill you in on all my other smart ideas. 
Thank you. Thank you. So did Ashton say anything that you think really changed the way you feel about aging or how you interact with people that are older than you? I don't think there was any one thing in particular. I think it was the entire conversation opened my eyes. Yeah. Because we're always looking at aging as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm guilty of this too. I'm like, oh my God, I need to use eye cream this year. I cannot get wrinkles. I don't want crow's feet. I have to wear sunscreen all the time. And she really was like, this is not a bad thing. Like, you cannot stop aging. It's going to mm-hmm. happen. Embrace it because you're lucky to get older. Um, actually, no, now that I do think of it, there is one thing that she said. She said, age is one thing, but maturity is something else. And so she said, you know, somebody could be 45 and have the mentality of a 15-year-old. And so that's, you know, a good reason or that's like a good way to kind of think of, you know, when people are friends with people in different age groups, that's not a weird thing necessarily, you know. And I think that we put so much we put so much emphasis on age yeah, um, in that context that it's like, why would you be friends with a 45-year-old, you know? Yeah, maturity is not chronological. Exactly. It's nice to be reminded of that. Yeah. For me, it was just how invisible we make people over the age of 50 feel. Yes. Um, yeah. I... And they have the biggest buying power. Yes, that's insane to me. And and once she said that, my eyes were kind of open. And I'm like, right, we don't, we don't even market towards them. I think it's really important to remember just to make people feel seen, um, and even day to day interactions, and um, not to be afraid to do so. Because I and this comes with inclusion, right? Because inclusion is it goes beyond race, yeah. it goes beyond size, it, it's also age and so many other factors as well. And so you know, older people need to see themselves in everything that we're doing that we're marketing to everyone else minus the older groups of people. Yeah, and as content creators, um, I think that's something that we can carry with us. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Kayla, for joining me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciated it. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it, Stanton. That's it for this week's show. I want to thank you all for listening. This show was produced by myself, Anna Parsons, and Michaela Heck with some editorial love from Roseanne Salvatore and help from Christina Ariola. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. So please leave a review. We'd really, really love it. We'd appreciate it so much. Um, Or write us at huddleatbustle.com. I'm Anna Parsons, and I will see you next week.